five. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. Hi, Candy here in Tennessee, Clarksville to be exact. How are you doing, Candy? You've been just sort of like lost to me the last few days. I haven't heard from you. Don't know what you're up to. I'm so sorry about that. You know, I'm doing very well. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of, um, I don't know how far back do you want me to go? So, you know, I came here to get a car. What you don't know is that I was going to drive back to Chicago last Thursday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Wednesday, actually. Maybe Wednesday. And so I get it. and, And I've got the car here and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go run an errand. I was going to pick up some stuff that I saw on sale and out to, I don't know, some store on my own in the car, the new car. And when I'm driving, I park in a parking lot of a big, you know, stores. When I get back in the car, I felt like the brakes felt weird. They didn't feel good. And as a matter of fact, once I noticed that they didn't feel good, it's occurred to me that they didn't feel great even the day before. It's just that they had gone to worse that I could really identify. So when I got back, I talked to one of my hosts. I'm staying with, um, I want to say a family, but it's a modern family. They aren't defined by all the things that would make up a family that we're used to. Sure. Uh, They're roommates. Let's just say it's roommates. And some of them are family members. Anyway, so I talked to one of the fellows here and I said, look, I said, I don't want to make a big announcement. I texted him. I said, something's up with the car. Come and meet me in the alley or something in the backyard. So he takes it out for a ride. He goes, no, the, they feel bad. The brakes feel screwed up. So I take it into a shop the next day to find a place to look at it. And they said, when the guy came out of the garage, he, he, was, he was looking at the car for about 10 minutes up on the hoist. He came out and I went, oh, no, what? Not worth fixing. Oh, no. Yeah. So, you know, uh, my hostess friend, she had not been feeling well last week because she had the allergic reaction. So since I'm going to be taking a bus back anyway, now that I'm not driving back, we said, well, I might as well stay another couple of days and make it the bus ride worth it. Right. It's a good 10, 12 hour bus ride. So, you know, I've done a bunch of chores around here and helped around the house and helped unpack some things and painted touch-ups and everything. So I'm still here and I'm heading home shortly back to good old Chicago. So I don't know why I was AWOL the last couple of days, but I guess I was. Maybe okay, I was just watching a lot of TV or something. Um, yeah, I don't know why I was AWOL. <laughs> well, you know, this is a very special time right now. Okay. Now in the next, I would say two and a half weeks, probably, is oh. the exciting time of the year for all the birding nerds in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially if you're living uh, along the Great Lakes, I'm sure it's the same for you in Chicago as it is for me in Toronto, uh, except we ha- we're on the north side of the lake. So we get the migrating birds resting after crossing the lake. Um, and we have some particularly excellent places to look at birds in Toronto, uh, including uh, Tommy Thompson Park, which is the Leslie Street Spit fabulous 
Uh, right near where uh, Tuffy P and I live is Colonel Sam Smith Park, uh, one of the best birding places anywhere. Uh, as well, we have Marie Curtis Park just to the west. A little bit to the north, we have uh, uh, Lampton Woods. Um, then there's the whole Don Valley. There's so many fantastic uh, places. We have, we're really blessed with a lot of ravines and huge parks. And we get to see a lot of these birds just for a short period while they pass through. Right. The two of them, the yellow warblers and the pine warblers, who are both up here already, they're going to nest here. Okay. Uh, most of the warblers uh, don't nest. They just stop here to rest, and then they head up to the boreal forest. Beautiful. So it's... Uh, oh, you've been out there taking pictures, maybe? Uh, I have. I've, uh, I, I, I've been going out early Saturday mornings with a, a, a group of uh, birding enthusiasts led by uh, a naturalist named Miles Hearn, who Whoa. has the most remarkable ear for bird calls I've ever <laughs> witnessed. Um, just an amazing naturalist and a great guy. And he leads these walks just about every day of the week for the uh, Toronto District School Board. So cool. So it's a modest cost. Usually there's 10 or 15 to a group and and off you go. And he has, you know, about 10 different destinations. And the spring run is like 10 weeks. Um, so we go from when there's still snow on the ground to the migrating birds coming through to um, seeing some of the babies as we get into summer and more botany and less birds as we get into summer. Oh. So that's pretty fabulous. And I've I've been enjoying those walks for some years. I, I took a break yeah. during the, the pandemic, uh, mostly because I wrecked my knee and it was, oh, yeah. it was difficult for me to, to do those walks, but I'm back in action uh, that way. And then next week, uh, Wednesday and Thursday nights, I'm going to camp at Presqu'Ile, mm. uh, which is um, a provincial campground near on a peninsula that goes way out into Lake Ontario near Brighton, Ontario. Oh, so it's huh? not too far away. I don't know, a couple hours. And uh, who are you going with? Your own I'm just going or? solo. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, with, with, I'm going with my usual friends. Stop <laughs> it. Are you going to be fishing? Uh, no, I'm just going to to um, uh, watch birds. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to to go up to the the tip of the peninsula in the mornings. is particularly great because all the the warblers that flew in overnight are are resting. So you see all kinds of them in the woods there. And they have a huge marsh area with a boardwalk that crosses the marsh. Oh. And it's one of the best spots for shorebirds as well. So I'm hoping to see some shorebirds. Very cool. Yeah. What a great little um, trek you're going to take next week. Well, it was supposed to be a canoe trip next week. Oh. Uh, but, uh, but, well, everybody bailed on me. What can I say? I'm sorry. For all different good reasons. Everybody okay. bailed on me and um, such is life. So I decided to take at least a couple of those days and uh, enjoy a little bit of nature, even if I'm not getting out for the uh, the full meal deal. Right. Excellent. Well, I've been watching a little nature too. I've been watching cardinals and, and, and house finches. 
that are living in ferns at my get my host's place. Nice. <laughs> she hung up two ferns and immediately two finch families moved in. And they've got, you know, six babies each. Oh, beautiful. The house finches so are gorgeous. Aren't they gorgeous? I love them, love them. It's one of my they, favorite birds. They look like somebody's poured a jar of strawberry jam over them. Correct. Yes, they do. Yeah, they're lovely. And, you know, there's some rabbits around here and some weasels and mink and groundhog running around. I'm sure there's deer, but I haven't seen any. And, um, you know, it's very warm here. Um, if it's noisy on on the podcast today, Weird Sounds, it's because I've got two full fans pointed at me and the windows open because I'm just boiling to death. Wow. Yeah, we were well, gardening. cold and miserable here. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't even, I'm sure it's cold in Chicago. I can't even remember what it feels like to be cold. I'm so hot. <laughs> my spinach is up. I planted spinach seeds oh. back when we were still having snowstorms um, <laughs> because you don't have to worry about your spinach freezing. Okay. Uh, and um, you can plant it as early as you can work the soil a little bit. So I've, I've got spinach up and I have lettuce planted and bok choy planted. Wow. Yeah, well, I'm, they're going to be on big the case. and strong soon. You are on the case. Yeah, well, no, I just... For oh. spinach, it's really only worth growing in the early spring or the fall because oh. in, in the summer, spinach bolts. Oh. Right, it goes to not... seed. Yeah, okay. so... Oh. Yum, homegrown spinach, yummy. Very oh, yeah, it's I love being able to, to go out and pick a salad. That's the best. Yes, that is the best. Good stuff. Um, now, I believe you were going to tell me something, but I, I can't remember where we were when we started up this podcast. You had a cute story for me, and I, I kind of uh, said, let's record, but I don't well, even, yeah, I don't but I don't even know if that was a podcast it. story. I don't well, even remember I what thought, it was. I don't either. Well, I no. guess if it's important, it'll come back to us. But I did do something that I don't usually do, and I wanted to talk about it. Oh, okay. Um, I uh, I visited the ROM. Oh, I haven't been for ages, obviously. Well, I hadn't been for ages either. And I hadn't you know, been in any kind of museum, art museum or any kind of right. museum for ages because, well, we've had a, a pandemic. Yeah. And... You know, I've always enjoyed visits to museums, for mm -hmm. sure. I can get very lost in all the artifacts and artworks and, and everything uh, because it's so interesting to see how other people organize themselves and live, and it's fascinating yeah. to me. Um, but, you know, when I was in there, there was a couple of times when I was looking at, like, somebody's tomb or something like that, and I just thought, why is this here? Oh, why is it here? Well, because they robbed it from somewhere. Well, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it is the, the Royal Ontario Museum, of course. Now we call it the ROM, but it has that time honored colonial style uh, name. And right. I, I, I know there are a lot of issues with cultural sensitivity in museums. I wondered what you thought about that. Oh, but I, I have really mixed feelings standing there in the museum thinking sometimes I, I don't like this, but I yeah. like that. You well, know. you know, I do love, I feel so lucky to have grown up on the West Coast where I was really exposed to um, Haida culture and I'm not even calling it the right word anymore, um, the proper respectful name, but of West Coast culture, art, clothing and um, family holes that they would keep outside that have all been robbed and taken to New York City 
and you know various museums in Europe. And there's also a collection that was in Chicago. And my sister was in town in Chicago. And we really, everyone said, you've got to go to the Field Museum because since you're an anthropologist and you work um, kind of as a liaison in some ways with First Nations, I don't want to mess up what her job is. So we'll just leave it at that. And um, we went to check out the artwork and much of it had been covered over with an apology saying, this is being revisited about whether or not it's appropriate to look at these ceremonial objects. You know, if, you know, my friend, Reverend Patty from the Buddhist temple in Chicago, she had me laughing one time because I think she was in Crate Barrel and there was a toilet brush with a Buddha head on it. You know, oh because oh, well, people who are new age and love Buddhism, they want their Buddha head on everything. But it was actually pretty disrespectful to put that on a toilet brush. Can you imagine putting Jesus on a toilet brush or, or any other thing? So, well, yes, well, you know, visit Fatima. Where is that? Fatima is in Portugal, and it's, this, it's a holy site, the site of a miracle where uh, I think a couple little girls um, had a vision of the Virgin Mary. I love that. And um, it's it's up um, it's quite away from Lisbon. It's up in it's a real hilly area, uh, and they have a pilgrimage there where devout Catholics each year um, crawl on their knees in a pilgrimage to the shrine at at Fatima where this miracle took place. And well, just outside of the let's call it the um, shrine area yes. is. What I'm going to call Graceland. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. You know when you go to Graceland, there's like five thousand shops that that all sell yeah. Elvis crap. Yes. Well, here there's five thousand shops that sell. Yes, they sell rosaries and your Catholic stuff, but they also sell you know Christiana, Christian Ronaldo shirts and soccer balls and little toy wow. accordions and like every kind of. <laughs> souvenir of portugal stuff you could possibly imagine and there's store after store after store after store after store and then uh and then you you get over to the shrine and i think the deal is and and i apologize if i'm offending anyone's sensibility uh, here i'm just trying to say it as i understood what was going on there mm -hmm. um they have these areas where uh, there's huge fans set up, overhead fans, and people burn large wax candles, and the, the fans suck up the pollution from the, the candles, right? Okay. And you can buy different sized candles. So some people are, um, they have like the little three-inch candles, right? And then you have the people with the 10-inch candles, and then you got the people with uh, with the three foot long candles, and then you have people you know they've done something really badass because they've got like a six foot candle that they've bought and are going to burn, right? And okay. then you can also get wax candles in the shape of every different kind of body part. So uh, let's say <laughs> let's say yeah, you want to part? Okay, yes. So let's say that you had a a relative who had uh, was having experiencing breast cancer and you wanted okay. to pray for them to get better, well, you would buy the wax breast okay, you and know, you would burn it. That seems right? healing. That seems healing. I, I, I understand that part. 
Yeah. Oh, so, so there's the two, the two streams, yeah. the, the, like, uh, yeah. the pray to get your loved ones better yeah. candles and the pray for better dispensation, um, candles. Okay. Um, and I think there was sort of, um, there's areas where there's information about the, the miracle and all, all of right. that sort of stuff. Right. And then an area with like little restaurants and, right. and, and, and that kind of thing. I don't know much about the Bible. I do know that looking at the Bible, the best part is when Jesus gets involved. That's the best part of the whole story. And uh, I seem to recall that Jesus threw over the tables with the merchants and was getting rid of that kind of, he's an anti-capitalist in my um, experience of the, <laughs> he wasn't really into co-opting, you know. Um, and yet there it is. And there um, it is. Yeah, uh, well, you, that's true. And, and all I could all I could do was like look over at Sheila and say Graceland because <laughs> yeah. that's what it reminded me yeah, of. Or Niagara know? Falls. Right. Yes. Or, or any of those sorts of, of yeah. places. Uh, I mean, I was thinking Graceland because there's the shrine and people think of, of, the, of the Elvis place as, yes. a, as a shrine yes. in a way. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but very um, <laughs> crazy place. Crazy I guess place. anywhere that any way you can make a buck. Right. And I mean, tourism, I think, is the way for struggling economies to make money. Yes. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, so that's I guess that's it. You know, um, but on a toilet brush may be inappropriate, appropriate. But although it sounds like they maybe they would have a Jesus on a toilet brush, you never know, or a plunger or something. Yeah, strange. You know, so, uh, so you know, while I'm in the museum and I'm yeah. thinking about some of the pieces there, wondering how they got there and who brought them in and who's yeah. running the place and all of that sort of thing. Um, at the same time, I looked at dinosaur bones and fossils and creatures, the most amazing creatures that uh, they have preserved as jars of, of organisms and creatures. And all I can say is that I would love to take some Republicans in there and show them <laughs> some of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. You're talking about people who believe we're only 6,000 years old or something. Yes. Well, exactly. It's like, and it's like you want to try and deny science, but look, at you walk into the museum, you cannot deny the bones. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I guess for me, I, I, I've always wondered, you know, why can't that be reconciled? That is a fascinating thing for me. And, you know, I mean, I'm reading all about that right now, this kind of reconciliation between how we chop up our philosophies so I do have that feeling when I go in a museum. You know, we saw an Egyptian. Um, we were at the, I don't, where were we? Steg and I, I think we must have been at the Art Institute. And even when you're looking at the beautiful mummy and you're realizing that that's a dead body in there, the, 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 the shroud, it does seem kind of, ooh, it seems kind of wrong sometimes, you know? Yeah. You know, and yet you're fascinated because it's so beautiful, but we have robbed those tombs as well. We've robbed the Egyptian tombs. Um, We've it, instead of leaving places things where they're meant to be, like what we call totem poles, we're never supposed to leave those islands and those people. They they disintegrate in the place, and yet there you can see these incredible costumes and culture, and maybe have more respect for it. Uh, it's it's a it's mixed. What about the Rockefeller collection in New York City? That one is just it's kind of brutal. I know it's beautiful, but it's it just makes me feel like when I saw it, I was like, well. I guess it's amazing to learn about everybody's different. There's hundreds of cultures and hundreds of economies. It's great to learn about them. But I remember being very kind of sad when I saw the Rockefeller um, 
collection. That was the boy that was a, from the rich family and his father landed up, he got, he got killed um, traveling or kidnapped. I can't remember anymore. I, I didn't really follow the story that well, but maybe Michael Rockefeller. So the collection is named after him, but um, it was, it's kind of disturbing. That's at the Met. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, you, you know, the other thing I, I, I thought I asked a question on, on Google about yeah. the state of museums and should we have them and how should they yeah. be? And um, one, one thing that came up was an article um, by a fellow named Brian Boucher, who reported for CNN in July, 2020. And I hadn't read about this. Maybe it's, it's American news that you will, you will have heard and I'm less likely to have heard. Okay. I don't know. But um, dozens of current and former employees from various institutions, including the Met, the Guggenheim, the Modern, published an open letter accusing the institutions of unfair treatment of employees of color. (gasps) And a quote from the letter, your covert and overt white supremacy that has benefited the institution through the unrecognized dedication and hard labor of black slash brown employees with the expectation that we remain complacent with the status quo is over. Soon after the letter was published, um, employees from the Guggenheim and the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art accused the leadership of racism. Um, The Guggenheim shared a need for reform, uh, and this particular author couldn't uh, get a response from the the other institutions. Uh, But, you know, that's just something else that I had no idea about that was going on in in museums, but maybe it goes back to that kind of colonialist sort of structure and really an old boys network or click within the, uh, of the museum. Um, you know, it's true because I guess for me, I'd like to be idealistic and think that maybe art would be different, you know, an art, a, an art, a building dedicated to art would be different than, than such, but, Many of those collections are built on the elitism and the the idea that I get to take this from this country. I can take this and put it into a box and and museumify it. And yes, well, we won. It's ours now. Yes. So that is very disturbing. And I think slowly but surely things will be returned to their, I hope, to their to the people that want them, especially anything that's spiritual or mystical yeah. and and of a religious so, value should be returned. So, I mean, the funny thing is I enjoyed my trip to the, the ROM. Oh, yeah, I love for it sure. too. Uh, I, yeah. um, but I just had moments where I looked at certain things and I just had cause to pause. They just sit yeah. there and think about, well, what is this institution? What's it, what, what's it doing here? What's its purpose? How is it run? And it got me thinking also about uh, how we look at how we display art. You know, on the one hand, when I was in just starting high school, I went to the Art Gallery of Ontario and I saw a painting by John Meredith that changed my life. Mm. I looked at that painting and I just said, shit, man, I, <laughs> I'm not sure what he's doing here, but I, yeah. I, need to, I need to look at this more. I need to yeah. look at more of these. I need to understand this language. I, I, can I, I wish I could make a painting like that. And yeah. I think on that day, I thought, I, I could be a painter. I could do that. 
Uh, so the an art museum for me that that was tremendous importance. I could go there and see uh, a selection of fantastic uh, artists. Later, I would start to ask the question: Well, whose selection? Yes, right, and which yes. ones, and who's getting excluded here, and who's getting included, and 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 how all of that that system works, you know. Pretty much everyone has been excluded because there's just not that much room to put art out there. Aren't that many galleries? There's lots of galleries, but not enough to represent the world. Um, and then you have art that really is made only for institutions. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, Sheila and I went to Montreal a few years ago to see a blockbuster uh, exhibition by Anselm Kiefer. Oh, I love him. And I mean, there were works in this in this museum in this show that had to have been 60 feet long and yes. 40 feet tall like it was ridiculous yeah I, you know you just look at it and just feel like you're so tiny how could this one human execute this kind of epic epic painting and of course but that's what humans do right we you know we do epic really well well but, it did. yeah go ahead but i mean he made that for museums because yeah. nobody else could hang it well, that's true. I think that there's a good side to that. And remember that movie, the the cost of, oh shit, cost of everything. And it was a documentary about the art world. And I think it was yes. Kiefer, <clears throat> it was him or Gerard, Gerard Richter, one of them. But I think it was Kiefer and he did not want to sell his artwork to that woman because he said, I don't want it to be in a private collection. I want it to be in a museum. And she said, this is bullshit because museums are filled with basements of artwork that no one gets to see. At least if it's sold, it goes in someone's home. But you see, he was taking the part that it has to belong to the public. So in a way, is it decadent or wrong that he was making it for a museum? He was making it for the public. Yes, it was going to be in a museum. If you go and see art in, in D.C., for instance, you don't pay for any of it because it's all free to go anywhere in any, any institution or gallery. So the NSF show I saw there with mammoth pieces, you know, it was, it was there for the people. And I think that's incredible, but I know what you mean about that decadence that you're making it not to go to someone's home. I'm sure he has small pieces that you could buy and take home. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but, but it's, it's just something to, to think about when you see a, a work of art that massive of scale and you think, well, what buildings are there on this planet that could house a work that big? Yeah, yeah. And really a select uh, group of elite museums are the only places that could even ever house the work. Well, you know, now that you mentioned, it, I think one of the pieces I saw in DC was it referenced, it wasn't exactly literally an aircraft, but it was certainly aircraft-esque. It looked like a plane. And maybe, you know, there's a commentary on that, that we're making these huge warships that we house and care for, where's the art? I read a great book about art being smuggled out of Nazi Germany before people were saved. It was a terrible um, situation where, you know, this artwork was being preserved, so we didn't lose the history of the art, but they didn't spend the time helping Jewish people escape or gay people escape. And, you know, then you're like, well, art shouldn't be worth more than human life, should it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, you're talking about behavior modification and questioning um, what we're doing. And this kind of ties into two things. Actually, one thing, I wanted to do a slight fix up because I do look at how I'm talking and doing things. And many times it's with you. 
And last week, you were talking about your fiddle building. And I was wanting to remember to mention Russian doll, so that after you explain all this, um, all what you're doing with the fiddle, I'm like, have you seen Russian Doll? And I'm like, so mad it bothered me all week. It bothered That's me the way our week. conversations go. I know, That's, I, I have like no problem it. with that. I know, but I didn't like it because <laughs> I, I felt like all I was doing was selfishly trying to remember what I wanted to mention. And that that's, reminds that's me, Candy, yeah. of my father, who <laughs> had the wonderful ability to end sentences with the word and. Yes, so he, he can always segue into a new topic that's without true. ever stopping. That's true. I told you about my uh, behavior modification story, right? I hope I'm saying it right. I probably told you a couple of times on this podcast. I'm sorry if I repeat it, but I'm going to do it one more time. Okay. So when I was, you know, getting ready to think about going to school after high school, I'm talking to my dad and he's like, well, what do you like to do? I said, well, I like art. And he said, what else do you like to do? I said, well, I like writing. He said, journalism. So I do go take journalism. I sign up and I get accepted, unbelievably so. (laughs) And I'm going to this college in Calgary and I took a psychology class as you kind of take all these variety of academics. You'll take a, you know, you get that broad education. And I guess... Something happened, and I really loved this class. It was so fascinating. I did a paper on on gay bars. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, there was, a, there was a, a, a gay bar in Calgary, so I went and talked to people that were there, and I hung out and went dancing and wrote a paper on it. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, I'm so cute. Anyway, I guess one day after <laughs> Hey, listen, class, Candy, just before – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt yeah, here. Yeah. I, I have to tell you that I once took a class – that was the class for people who couldn't do science classes for artists. And, <laughs> and it was a, it was this Italian fellow was a professor and he chain smoked while he lectured through no. like, like constantly. And then he yeah. showed movies and yeah, I, I did my, I did my uh, paper, which was most of my marks on, on symmetry in the day they busted the grateful dead by Richard Brodigan. Wow. Interesting. That's so, fun. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, now, no, that's perfect. Ahead. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I love that. I used to love going dancing to that. It's called Parkside Continental. What a name, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the point being, one day after class, the professor said, can I talk to you, please? Uh, I just want to talk to you. You're just a great person. You're really dynamic. You ask good questions. You know, you're really thinking but I want you to do better in the world. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but can you try to learn not to interrupt people and talk over people or so your enthusiasm is blocking other people in the class. Oh my God. I was so, I was like, Oh, thank you. I would have been mortified. I was interrupting her. Yeah. No, I was totally mortified. Totally mortified. (laughs) I was, I was so filled with this feeling of like shame. And then I was like, well, wait a second. I think this guy really, he gave me very good compliments. I knew I had a rapport with him. I think he's really doing me a favor. And I've got to find a way to get past this feeling of shame because I shouldn't feel shame. I'm young. I can fix this. And um, I proceeded to try to fix it. So anyway, all of that came churning up when I was feeling really bad about, you're like, here's how I carefully carve a fiddle. Russian doll! (laughs) (laughs) Well, it didn't bother me at all. All right, good. Um, The sun is starting to come on to me here, Um, which this leads me to another topic. Um, Did you ever watch Brene Brown's TED Talk? 
No. 2010. It's probably the most, I think it's a top five TED Talk or YouTube. She broke the YouTube with it. And she did research on vulnerability. And um, it's a fantastic TED Talk. And she's basically a professor in Austin, Texas. And she researches things like empathy, uh, guilt, shame, and vulnerability. And she's got a really cool program. I think it's five episodes on HBO. And I've been watching it. And it's super good. Um, and it kind of ties What's into it called? Whole, it's called Atlas of the Heart. She has a book out right now called Atlas of the Heart. And this is like five, maybe chapters or aspects of that book. And it's kind of cool because, oh, I think it's, I think it's amazing. It's probably being called groundbreaking. Um, you know, I felt like when I watched it, I'm like watching Oprah again. And um, so she has these five different segments on HBO. And then I wanted to think about this, but it, this ties into the uh, museum issues of analyzing what we've done in the past, is it still good to do it? And how do we move forward? So with this show, she's got five chapters, five episodes. The first one's called The Language of Emotion and Human Experience. The second one is called Places We Go When Things Are Uncertain or Too Much. The third is Places We Go When We Compare. The fourth is Places We Go When Things Aren't What They Seem. And the fifth is Places We Go With Others and the Framework for Meaningful Connection. And she wrote a book called Daring Greatly, which is fantastic. Her work is questioning what it means to be human. And there's nothing more human than emotions. And I've mentioned Martha Nussbaum, who must be an influence on her. She's a philosopher, an American philosopher who wrote an incredible book called Upheaval of Thought about how emotions are helping us know what we want and what we do. Um, so she uses during this uh, program, she uses pop culture to talk about how we are feeling. And she uses TV shows and movies and she has clips. She's got permission to put the clips in. So that's kind of fun. And one thing she says at the beginning of the series is she's going to identify and name 30 emotions. And then she's going to give you the framework for meaningful connection. She's hoping to find that. And she also hopes that we have tools we need to not only correct deeper, connect deeper with ourselves, but with each other. And she's, her argument is that we've never been taught how to talk about how we're feeling. And I think it's a great point. And I'm really kind of excited to see how people respond to this. I know that um, my friend, my host, um, she's with, um, there's a church called Unity of Music City in Nashville, a very liberal, it's a, a LGBT friendly church in Nashville. And they're doing a six week, 10 week reading of it. So they're going to read a different chapter every week and discuss it. And I think that's pretty cool. So it's, it's, it's just spilling over into, into the culture, um, her book and this HBO series. And I really want to recommend people watch it. And it does relate very much to what you're saying about the museum. We are museums ourselves, our memories, who we are, how we talk. I mean, sure. also, I have a trail of dead bodies behind me where, you know, maybe if I had been careful about what I said or how I said it, maybe I would still have some of those, you know, relationships. And I think everybody has relationships that they still have or have lost. Sure. And it's part of being human. Or it may not even be anything bad. You might have not even realized that you said something that was misunderstood. And so, yeah, she wants to know how do we cultivate meaningful connection 
with ourselves and each other. And I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about it. It's funny though, because one thing you'll find funny is at the last um, episode, um, she talks about her sister and she had a problem. Something bad happened. She calls her sister on the West coast and her sister says, what does support look like for you? And, you know, you know, even when you're watching this, your ego is going to buckle. Like, I don't like the way she said that. So I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to say that. If I said that to my daughter or my sister, I think they'd tell me to fuck off. <laughs> like, how does support look mm -hmm. for you? However, it's not a bad idea because what you're trying to find out is you're not going to say platitudes. You're not going to listen and just try to fix it because actually trying to fix someone's feelings doesn't help either. It's not listening. So she really breaks down what is actual listening and caregiving. It's pretty interesting. You know what that reminded me of? How do I, what does support look like for you? Have you ever had an art opening and then everybody says, are you happy with the show? <laughs> right? Isn't that the worst thing you can hear at an art opening? Like, I always, I always dread when I go to an art opening and I see the artist and the artist asks me what I think of the work. But nobody should do that. That's not part of the decorum. Because I don't, if someone asks me, I have to assume that they really want to know. Oh, and sometimes I really like people and I don't like their work. <laughs> I've got myself in so much hot water. I tell you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, really, I don't know if we should ever ask such direct questions to each other. I'm not sure that's the way to get connection either. No, probably better is, would you like a beer? Yes. And, and what'd you do this week? It's, it's like going to a funeral. We don't, we don't go there. When you're at a funeral, the next thing you know at the wake, it's chit-chat. It's like, it's seizing the day again in life. And I think an art opening is a little bit like a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, what you want to do is you want to talk about what you've been reading and everything. And we don't really talk about the artwork, maybe with each other, but not even with the artist. I think it's, it's such an emotionally elevated situation like a wedding or a funeral, an art opening is a big high pressure situation for the artist. Let's be delicate, keep it light. Um, you can save the critique or asking for a critique until next week. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think it's too much to put somebody on the spot and say, hey, what do you think of my art opening? Oh, I would could not say that to somebody. I would never ask anyone. Never. My God, I, I just want to have a good time. I don't want someone yes. to tell me they hate my work. Right. Or any, or even if they like it, I feel the same way uh, either way, because it's, it's an emotional situation. So you want to be able to uh, just, yeah, you at that, by the time you hang that and, artwork. And you're very vulnerable because you've put yes. this incredible, thank you. Like a body of artwork. It's a very intimate thing. It's yes. something you do in solitude and you're sharing with people. And it's, I think it's tremendously special. Yes. You know, and oh. the problem is we don't have a really good way of sharing that. No, we don't. This is this is showing such a thematic podcast episode this week because yes, it's it we are vulnerable and we don't know how to communicate. And and we're all learning and it's all worth thinking about these things, but we don't have a place to think about them. I guess in art school, but if you don't go to art school, you're not going to learn how to talk in an art opening. That's right, because you don't learn that dialogue. No, no. And um, and also, quite often, it's another artist who does put you on the spot like that. Really? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it always feels a little bit like aggressive. Like, and we, we know who that artist is. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a couple. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Hey, just before this podcast, 
I wanted to avoid reviewing my notes because that's what I should have been doing is reviewing my notes. So instead (laughs) I surfed around the YouTube machine and I stumbled into a really interesting little film. Uh, You can see on, it was a 1996 film by Robert Doan and Robert Patch called Arm of Gold. And it's the film about a Micmac fiddler uh, in Cape Breton named Mm. Lee Cremo, who was a big fish in a small pond. I mean, he was the bomb. And he got a chance to go to Nashville, Tennessee to compete in the World Fiddling Championships. So he, on the, uh, the, the day he has to fly there, his accompanist, a piano player, who's the only piano player he's played with for like a zillion years, uh, had a baby and his wife had a baby and, and he couldn't come. So he was without a company accompaniment. So he was like auditioning guitarists. And then he decided to just use his feet as a companyist. And, and wow. um, it was a, a lovely story about, about this guy from Cape Breton, who also it's really interesting because he's, he's playing well, you could say it's Mi'kmaq fiddle, but it's really filtered through a lens of Cape Breton fiddle, which is very Scottish. And so this guy's fiddling sounds quite Scottish. Uh, fascinating stuff. And uh, I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna win awards for the best production values um, or anything like that. It it feels a little bit dated, but it's a really interesting story and I think it's well worth seeing. So if you have an hour uh, to kill and you want to see something, look for Arm of Gold on the YouTube. Wow. Isn't that fun when you find something just a bit weird like that? That's Yeah, YouTube's full of it. It's all there. Yeah. You just have to find it. How do yeah. you mine that stuff? Yeah. You know, I, I watched a movie last night. Um, it's not the greatest movie. It's set in Nova Scotia. It's not a horrible movie. But I could stop watching it. I kind of felt I got compelled. It definitely feels like a a new filmmaker's movie, maybe a young filmmaker. And uh, but it had some good laughs. It was called Spinster. And right. at first I didn't realize it was on on a coast in in, in Canada. Then it, all of a sudden it, it becomes clear because she's on pillow basalt. And I'm like, wow, what ocean is this with pillow basalt um, that she's hiking on? Um, the director was Andrea Dorfman. The screenplay was by Jennifer Dale. And I'm just wondering who was the star that she obviously was a stand-up comic. It was very charming. Just about a woman who was at odds with her life, super cynical. And it's about an hour and a half. I think it was on Prime. And it was, I'm going to, it's it's not Apocalypse Now, but it was actually very worth watching and satisfying. She gets a dog and, you know, She's a she's a chef, a caterer, and she's pretty unhappy with her life. And yet we get we get kind of um, oh, it was written by the the actor, I think. Yeah. Um, so, oh no, it wasn't. But anyway, really good film, Spinster. I think some people will like it. Now you recommended Barry. Yes, I did. And I I crammed Barry. I've watched the two seasons now. Wow. Okay, we haven't watched that much. We've watched a few episodes back to back yeah and i don't know what's the difference between barry and dexter what's the difference between barry and ozark okay (laughs) 
roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah, they've all got that roller coaster ride. It is very similar to Dexter. You're right. And um, I guess at Dexter, at least not everybody was being killed that you liked. This is more like Game of Thrones and Dexter put together. Uh, the, the, the nice twist is that yeah. he was he was really good at being a, a killer, but he was never in any danger of being a good actor. <laughs> and so the story for anyone who hasn't heard about this is about a guy who's a paid assassin, an ex-Marine paid assassin who does a job in LA and one of his um, victims to be is uh, in an acting class. And he gets fascinated by this and decides that he wants to join the acting class. And the acting teacher is played by Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler, my who goodness. We met, who we mentioned last week. Yeah, it's funny that, yeah. huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know why, you know, uh, my my friend here said, let's check out Barry. I actually thought it was pretty funny, but there's something that I really am obsessed with on Barry. Someone. Um, they steal they steal the whole thing. I watch it for them alone. Anthony Kerrigan. He plays a Chechen monster. Oh, yes, author. yes. I just met him. Yeah. Yeah, no ho Hank, and I'm obsessed with him. I'm obsessed with him. I just want him to, you know... He is so funny. He's so hilarious. This character, this—they've created a brilliant character who's stolen the show from the lead. As far <laughs> as I'm concerned, I just—every time he speaks, I'm completely charmed. He has created such a weird way that he talks and moves his body. He's—he's he's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I wish I could imitate him. Um, I really like it. I, we're down to so season three just started last week. And there's two episodes, and I've watched those now. Okay, so you're all yeah, caught up. But it is frustrating when everybody gets killed. You're just like, now, how do you get out of this, and why am I supporting this? Why, well, am, I on, why am I on your side? That's a common theme, I think, yeah. in today's serial television. Serial yeah. television. Hey, so we, we also tried to watch... Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna watch all of Barry. I'm just we kind of parked yeah. it for a bit. Yeah. And yeah. I, we started watching Sweet Bitter. And I want Sweet Bitter to be good so much. I really, I want it to be good so much that we keep watching it. Yeah. And we keep going, nope, nope, still not good. Uh, it's about a young woman. Uh, I'll tell you who plays um, her. Uh, Ella Purnell as Tess. Uh, Tom Sturridge as Jake. Caitlin Fitzgerald as Simone. Paul Sparks as Howard. So a young woman... Um, who it's based on a, a 2016 novel by, by Stephanie Danier, uh, inspired by her time working at Union Square Cafe in New York. Oh. And so the story is about a young woman named Tess who's um, from like rural Ohio or something like that. And she shows up in New York City on her own and wants a job and miraculously gets a job as a trainee in this restaurant. And the restaurant is run by a bunch of wacky kooks that are lovable, lovable wacky kooks um, who have different roles in the restaurant, like supplying drugs to everyone else, or um, they all have different, you know, they're all like screwing each other and it's, you have to kind of figure out who's zooming who. And, um, and it's sort of like the adventures of someone working at a, a New York restaurant. I want it so much to be good. Aww. It, it, really is so much like a soap opera right right i right. would have liked to have had more drama about the actual restaurant 
Mm-hmm. The ins and outs of the restaurant, that to me is more interesting than the melodrama around it. Then we got into the beginning of the second season and who should uh, who should make a guest starring appearance as the owner of the restaurant, but Sandra <laughs> Bernhardt. Oh, well, that's who, fun. Who plays herself. Oh, wait, yeah. she always plays herself. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so if you could imagine a restaurant owner um, who's very, very much like Sandra Bernhardt. Right. Uh, and uh, well, she was like that on Roseanne, working in the in the restaurant on the TV show Roseanne too. Okay. Yep. Uh, she has that kind of uh, you know that's that's a thing in in movies is to bring that persona into different settings, right? Ah, I see. Is okay. Adam Sandler always Adam Sandler? Is Cary Grant always Cary Grant? Pretty uh, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clint yeah. Eastwood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, that doesn't mean they're not good actors because they're very good actors. So uh, it's it's fascinating that they could be that persona and still bring something new. Sorry. There's times in which it's really interesting as you see the relationships grow between the various characters, both in their work life and then they have a bar they go to after work, which I think is, uh, hey, I've never worked at a restaurant, but I've heard that that there are bars. There are, are bars. Open all night. And they are open all night, yeah. And, and there may be, there may be, you know, recreational things going on. <laughs> there may be, maybe. And, and so all of that is White done in powder. a really gritty way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in um, in this show, and there's even um, one episode that's about like the divide between the dishwashers and the kitchen crew and the servers and all the different cliques and their and their kind of um, order in the fiefdom. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of interesting, but it's just way, 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 way too saccharine. Okay. So you're giving it a seven out of 10? <laughs> I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a 6.5 because we're still oh. watching it. Right. I'll Otherwise, give I give it a four. Five. Yes. Uh, so, so there's that. Okay. And <laughs> we're going uh, into our notes, both of us. Well, yes. There's a couple other things. Um, one of them is a new show that I think we're going to be talking about a lot in the coming oh. weeks. It's oh. called We Own This City. Oh. I'm going to write that down. Have you seen this yet? It's uh, it's a a David Simon. um, Oh. And I I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but (laughs) it's. Is it Baltimore? It is. It's about Baltimore. (laughs) It's hard to believe that there could be room for another show about crumbling Baltimore. And yet here it is. There's always room for be more. Well, that's it. And it's written and developed by George Pelicanos and David Simon. Well, it's about his, the, name, his name is with the, the wire as well. Yes. yes. Uh, rise and fall of the, of the Baltimore Police Department's gun trace task force and corruption Whoa. around it. Okay. Let's look at some of the actors in here. Oh, my God. I got chills. Okay. So there's John Edward Bernthal from Walking Dead. Yeah. There's James Herder. Herder. That's Marlowe. There's from the from the wire. Yeah. There's a uh, Josh Charles from The Good Wife, uh, who played Will Gardner. Uh, McKinley Belcher the um, who is Agent Trevor Evans in Ozark. 
Uh, uh, Daryl Britt Gibson, who is O Dog on the Wire, oh, and is also in Barry. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, Delaney Williams was Jay Landsman in The Wire. He's in oh. it. Um, there's Jermaine Crawford, who was Dookie in The Wire. Wow. Um, Pooh from The Wire is in it. <laughs> I don't even know if I've identified them all, but they've gone right. right to a lot of this core of actors. And you know they're all great. And part of the fun is to see these actors who we haven't seen in a lot of different shows back in another show, a different kind of show about Baltimore in which they're, you know, the good guys are playing bad guys and everything's all reversed, right? It's not... Um, they're not they're not cast they're not, they're not typecast is what i'm saying right um it's uh, directed by uh reinaldo marcus green who um did uh king richard mm. and monsters and men and joe joe bell uh this is we've only seen the beginning of it uh there's a new episode just got dropped today and so we can hey i even know the lingo it got dropped right uh, right yeah you sound great uh, <laughs> so Love we're looking it. forward to this one i think this is going to be a really insightful show cool well you know two of those actors i'm really crazy about for sure as well john bethel who was in um the punisher but he was also in widows and the many saints of newark he plays the father and he was in that movie that i really loved that was um i can't remember the name of it but it was science fiction um that we talked about he's in baby driver um, the other guy. Oh, Josh is that you Charles. thinking of upload? I'm thinking of upload. Thank you. I think I'm thinking. How of did I know that? Do I get bonus points for that? Yeah, you do. Thank you so much. And then Josh Charles was in in treatment, as yes. well as the Good Wife. Yeah, that's yes. a great cast. Oh my god. Yeah, gosh. the cast is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. Wow. So far, it's great. Wow. And pretty cool. Uh, and so we're watching that coming off of. Tokyo Vice, the season's over now, damn it. I love that show. Yeah, I really, good. really enjoy that show. Very good. I'm, I'm not finished, but um, I think I've got one or two more episodes, which also made me notice, have, did you watch Giri Haju? It's, I, I'm probably mispronouncing it, it's Japanese-British, and I want to put that on the list too, because it came up with my, um, you know how the algorithm gives you yeah, other yeah. shows, and the, the, um, the the translation is duty slash shame. So it's Jiri slash Haju. I wonder if Reverend Patty's listening to this. She's going to kill me about my terrible pronunciation. Uh, but duty slash shame. Um, and it's also got the Yakuza. And oh, okay. uh, it looks pretty cool. So it's only one season. It didn't get picked up, but it might be fun to watch. Ah. Oh, that reminds me. Sweet, uh, sweet bitter got uh, canned after two seasons. Oh, so you'll uh, be for every good reason. That. You'll be released of that misery soon. Yes, but yeah. you know, I'll probably watch. I'll I'll probably watch it all because the characters are kind of cute. Yeah. Right. They're just you kind of like the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some live music. What'd you see? Well, this was very interesting. We found an event here in Clarksville. Um, three singer songwriters. And they were Will Nance, Jamie Floyd, and Bob Rogan. And they, um, it, you, you, pay, you pay your ticket, and then you eat supper there. They had a buffet or dinner service, so we ate dinner. And, um, and it was really fun because these were singer-songwriters who have gotten a lot of success from selling their music. But they were playing their own music 
that night. So Will Nance, he's sold, he's written music that Brad Paisley and George Strait, a lot of George Strait has covered. And he had some pretty good George Strait stories. And then Jamie Floyd, she's played with Kesha. She's written music for Miranda Lambert, Kelly Pickler, Brian McKnight, and Hayden Panettiere. And Bob Rogan, he wrote songs for Billy Ray Cyrus, Tanya Tucker, Trisha Yearwood, and Keith Urban have bought his songs. So it's very interesting because behind the scenes, you know, we know all these superstars, but there's somebody who's written a lot of their music. Well, yes, of course. And, yeah. you know, people like, uh, like in Nashville, like Guy Clark, was never really, I mean, he was sort of a cult hit performer. Like there was a, a group of people who really thought Guy Clark was great, but a lot of people know his songs, but don't know anything about Guy Clark or Towns Van Zandt even. Maybe maybe right. more people know Towns because yeah. he's become more of a legend over the, the years. Yeah. But I think Steve Earle was also in one of those songwriting factories. And um on the other side of, I guess, in New York, uh, there's um, people like uh, Neil Sedaka and Carol King right. and Neil Diamond and those sorts of people cranking out the hits, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, it's like a secret history of film or something of, of music. And it's, it is really fun to hear how they play it, you know, and also the talent because they are brilliant, brilliant storytellers. Um you know, the one guy, uh, Will Nance, he was funny. He had a kind of a mentor guy he knew who had written three cigarettes for Patsy Klein. Oh, wow. I, did, I don't know his name. I've forgotten his name. But he goes to me and says, hey, um, you know, I really want some advice when he moved to Nashville to be a singer. And, and this guy says, get a couple of divorces. <laughs> 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 and um, the female uh, performer, Jamie Floyd, she, um, she, said, she had a lot of sad songs. She had a great song called Sad Girls. It was amazing that she wrote with her husband. But she had a lot of other sad songs before that. Sad Girls was kind of funny. But she's like, look, sorry, I'm not happy until you're unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> now, Bob Rogan, he's um, the other songwriter who wrote for Tanya Tucker and Trisha Yearwood. Um, he created something 10 years ago called Operation Song. And all three of these singer-songwriters have worked on Operation Song, which is a a foundation where they meet with veterans from wars, Second World War, Afghanistan, you name it, Korean, and they sit with them and they write songs together. I thought it was so fascinating. Um, and they played some of these songs. They were really, really amazing because the soldiers had had given the lyrics and their story and then they put them together, sometimes, sometimes with two or three people writing the song, sometimes just one-on-one. -on -one. And they had a song that gets played all the time in D.C. every year on Memorial Day called Last Day in May. And I'll, they played that and I'll share that on uh, Facebook. It was a really kind of fun evening seeing that behind the scenes, that talent. And they were all, of course, good storytellers. And um, so that was kind of cool to go out and see music. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of behind the scenes. Yeah. I still can't get into our agency podcast email. So I have no idea if, if, um, oh my God. if our fantastic listeners have been sending us emails this week. All right. Let me see if I can look while we're on here. And, okay. you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, the museums and, and self-reflection and self-improvement, which always makes me think of Fight Club. And Tyler Durden had a quote, uh, self-improvement is masturbation. And uh, his whole argument was that the best defense is to destroy your ego. 
So let me see if I can get into uh, Gmail here. And um, did you ever watch Fight Club? Oh, yeah. Great okay. movie. Great movie. Okay. I'm just going to our agency Gmail, which I have not checked in a couple of days either. So let's see if we have anything. Oh, no, we don't. We have a lot of people who want to... Um, Sell us you SEO know. services? Yeah, they want to they want to promote our um, exclusive clubs for podcasters. Eugene, maybe we should be in an exclusive club. Well, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm disappointed because we don't even get like the penis enlargement emails to that, no, to that account. I've got yet. critical security alert. Oh, that's you. <laughs> that sign in attempt sign in attempt was blocked. <laughs> that was me was blocked. <laughs> and then spotify sent us some email they want us to get three months free i guess they missed us they miss us oh and, yeah well oh well yep oh I, wait, I do we do have mail we have mail we want something from andy belmas all right andy, i don't mean to say anyone's last name so oh my god all right from andy who i don't know his last name dear candy and eugene I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your brother, Eugene. I was sad to hear that news. I just caught up on a couple of episodes of the podcast and am inspired to send a note on what I'm watching and reading. I'm currently reading Other Rooms, Other Voices by Truman Capote. I believe this was Capote's first novel and put him on the map at the young age of 24 or 25. It's got a good story while at the same time having a lot of fresh little poetic turns of phrase and descriptions. I also ordered the gospel according to Billy the Kid. Based on All your right, we sold the book. We sold a book. And fun interview with the author. Sounds like I will like that one too. You've you also will. convinced me, you will, that you I need to watch everything all at once. Smiley you face. Do. Smiley face. I watched through the whole of Andy Warhol diaries. I liked it. I wish they would have been able to get more into the trans women at the factory. I agree. And Warhol's apparent interest in cross-dressing. Hey, you know, there's also, yeah, unless I missed it, there are like people who I thought were really significant in that scene who are completely ignored in the show. Like, yeah. uh, like yeah. Lou Reed. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, uh, you know what, the Velvet Underground. You're right. That that should have been more. You know, I don't know why the show really did focus. The the series really did focus on a certain way of looking at Andy Warhol. Yes, and, and I, it may have to do with the footage they had too. The foot. Oh, good point. They had that footage. I mean, the diaries have everybody in it. The real diaries, the original stuff. Did you ever read that? No, I never did. Oh, it's crazy. Juicy, I bet it is. juicy. Lost some friends. Um, yeah, speaking of self-improvement, you know, self-improvement is masturbation. Um, you might want to watch what you're saying about your friends. I guess he hurt a lot of feelings. Um, mm. Yeah, but that's a great point because, I mean, especially they made that documentary now. Why would you not address that right now? Everyone for the last five years, it is about trans. You know, it's such a huge part of mm. our culture. So that is an interesting way that they, um, you know, didn't do that. Okay, so according to the internet, War this is the rest of Andy's letter. According to the internet, Warhol liked to go to parties and drink sometimes, which isn't really discussed in the series. They did get a lot of mileage out of that one Polaroid where he's in the blonde wig and makeup. But I feel like there's more to that piece of the story. Yeah. And then there's a, he sent us a link, you pretty thing Polaroid portraits of Andy Warhol and Dre. Great. 
we'll share that. And I finally got my friend's password for HBO Max. So I watched Station Eleven, which I liked okay, especially the last episode or two. Speaking of endings, I really like the ending of Midnight Mass. Not sure if you've seen it, but I thought it was a pretty cool show. I also watched the first six episodes of Outer Range, which I am enjoying. It has a real strange kind of edge to it, which I appreciate. That's a James Braun series. Oh, I haven't heard anything about that one. Yeah, just started. I think it's on Prime. By the way, you mentioned Poirot in a recent episode, and I wondered mm. if you ever watched the ABC Murders, where Poirot is played by John Malkovich. No. Courtney and I were thoroughly... I can't even imagine. I know. I didn't even know it existed. Courtney and I were thoroughly entertained by this production, even if it wasn't exactly perfect. I believe it's on Prime if you haven't seen it. Looking into it tonight. Anyway, thanks again for the fun podcast. I look forward to days when I can listen while I work. Makes the days go by faster. I hope you're all having a good week, and I'm looking forward to seeing Candy and Stag later in May. Best, Andy. Oh, my God. Thank you. That was a great email letter. Yes, it was, with suggestions and everything. Yes, thank you very much, Andy. We appreciate thank it. Thank you very much, Andy. And, and thank you, Eugene, for making sure I go on there and check the... Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I've tried, but you know what happens, uh, the reason why I can't get on is because sometimes uh, Google puts up one of those two-factor identification things so, to make sure it's you. And of yeah. course, Candy set up this email, so I'm not her. And when it asks me for two-factor authentication it means that it'll send like send candy a text so unless i text candy and say you're going to get a text you have to text me this number well i'm never going to get in well i think that's what we should do because um then you'll get back in and it should be okay for another few months yeah it's ridiculous that you can't log in there because you're logging in i'm i'm in toronto and i log in um i sometimes it does ask me for those verifications too and then god you have to remember what the hell animal cat name did I give? And you can't remember it all. Like, yeah. Oh, I, have to, I have to tell you. Yes. Um, a week or so ago, because there wasn't enough crap happening um, in my life, uh, <laughs> yeah. somebody uh, compromised my credit card and went on a spending spree. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. And the, the, the people from Scotiabank called me up and said, um, someone who sounded like a child called me. And, oh, I think and, you told us last week, but I didn't yeah. realize they spent money. Oh, yeah, they spent all kinds of money. So they're doing an investigation. And meantime, it's going to be on our bill for a month until they decide that we didn't uh. spend all that money. So they said they would send me a new card. It would take a week. Well, it came. The card came. And on the card, it said to activate, you can go buy something at a retailer <laughs> um, and I didn't feel like going shopping or you could go no. to our website Uh oh. and I went to the website to uh, to uh, get it activated and I failed the security questions yes. <laughs> and I got kicked out and and you know why it's because one of the security questions was my mother's maiden name and you would think I would know how to spell my mother's maiden right. name right but all my life, my mother's maiden name was Balka, but it was okay. it was spelled in Polish with those characters as opposed oh, to the English alphabet. Right, um, and so um, it 
it translates over to B-A-L-K-A or B-O-L-K-A. And I had always thought it was B-A-L-K-A. You know, one of those things you just always know and you don't know how you know it. And so um, somewhere along the way, I discovered that actually it was B-O-L-K-A on some document. Okay. And so I guess I had started spelling it (laughs) as B-O-L-K-A. And when they asked for the, the... my mother's maiden name, I misspelt it, got booted <laughs> out. I had to call the 1-800 line and I got the message. You know the one. Yeah. We are experiencing a higher than normal, yes. a higher than normal call volume, which you can translate to, we are terribly understaffed because everybody has quit our crappy call center. Yep. So uh, I was on hold for 48 minutes. And and then the person came on and started asking me What's your more security name? questions that I couldn't answer. And I'm starting to panic. And I at know. this point, I'm on the phone for an hour. And I thought I'd give myself a lot of time because I had to take George out to get his stitches out at the vets. And that only takes a few minutes, but I needed that few minutes. And so I'm getting impatient with this person in this call center. And I'm trying not to be impatient because I, you know, I have to tell myself they're good people. They managed to find employment. It's a lousy job. Don't be mad at the person. Mm. Right. And so I'm trying to tell myself this, but I'm getting impatient because she's asking me these really hard security questions. <laughs> like uh, I may be one of the only people in the world who, who doesn't have their social insurance number memorized. Well, that's one of the questions. So you know, I said, I thought it was illegal for you to ask me for a social insurance number. Nice, nice. And she said, no, it's not. She said, sir, what is your social insurance number? So I'm looking for it, right? Yeah. I'm like, where do I have it? I've got it somewhere. Yeah. So I finally got through. I got authenticated. I managed to get George in the car, get over to the vets. I should have just taken the, the stitches out myself because it was like, click, 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 pull, pull, pull. It was done. And... uh And there you go. (laughs) That was my crazy day. Yeah, no, that does suck when that happens. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, I can't remember what I, what I, what I answered. And I'm, you know, literally going through pet names, literally going through. Yeah, exactly. Maiden names, you know, your mother's maiden name. Uh, I think there's one right now is what's your first car. And I'm like, well, why didn't I say what my first car was? I must have said something else. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, I'm like guessing every car in the world like that I may have driven ever. What was your first car? Uh, I think it was a Honda Civic. Honda Civic? See, I don't know. Mine was a 1974 Datsun B210. Oh, I love that car. Pukey Green. Puce. Chartreuse. <laughs> Wasn't it something, that car? Yeah, it was something else. It's really um, cool looking though. We would take it on trips to like Buffalo. And when that car got to about, about 40 kilometers per hour or 25 miles per hour, it would start to shake. And it would <laughs> shake so much that you think, oh my God, what's happening? But as you <laughs> sped up through it, it would stop shaking. And you go, oh, it's okay. We can drive on the highway now. Well, <laughs> it turned out that the whole chassis of the car was a rusty mess. And it was shaking because the entire car was about <laughs> to fall apart on the 401. <laughs> what a disaster that was. Yeah, that's a trigger, okay? You're triggering me right now. <laughs> so one day, 
Yes. I took that. I took that car to. I took that car to um, the Bruce Peninsula. It was one of those. Do you remember we used to have those sculpture trips up to the Bruce yes, Peninsula? Well, yes, it was I one do. of those. Yeah. And and I had this car up there, and the um, the clutch went on the car, <laughs> and I couldn't drive it, and we were stuck. And oh, somehow we but- got to a phone. Tim Mitra was with me. Oops, I love oh, her last name. Hi, Tim. Tim. I know, we're really blown with in me. with our last names. Yes. Um, so uh, my father came up and he pushed us with his pickup truck for like 30 <laughs> miles. Like he, if if I did that to someone, they would throw me into the Hooskow for 10 years. He was dry, he would drive up behind this car and go. Boom! And it would go forward. You know, boom! And he kept hitting it all. Did everybody, the way did everybody have to stay with you that came up with you that weekend? I don't remember any more details yeah, than that. Yeah. Just that somehow or other he I got us to Owen Sound, and then that. we had to we had to leave the we had to leave the car, and then one of us had to to sit <laughs> in the back of the pickup truck on the drive from Owen Sound to <gasps> Toronto. Oh my god! I mean, that's three or four hours, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah, because those that, that was a, a trek to get up there. Um, I went on a, on one or two with you for sure, but not that one. Because one, you were teaching me, you were helping me with driving. I was driving your car with the clutch and I was... <laughs> oh, that's what happened. Now it comes out. No, no, not the Datsun, not the Datsun. I can't believe your father drove all the way up there to help you. Isn't that he amazing? drove up and, and pushed the car with his pickup truck. <laughs> You just Is can't that, make this stuff do you up. you think he went up there with that intent to do? Was he like, well... Yeah, oh, yeah, that's what he's going to do. He's going to push, push me home. Oh, oh man. God. But you got the car fixed in Owen? You get the car fixed. There. I have a long history of cars breaking down in the near north. Well, I had a car break down on a painting trip with uh, Sheila and Tim and um, Bluer. I hope my husband is listening to this part of the story. Oh, I think uh, I have to. Can you talk for a second? Because she left home and she can't get in. All right. Let her in. Let the right one in. Um, Yeah. Poor my husband, poor Stank. He thinks that our cars are the only cars that ever break down. So, I mean, last time the car broke down, I was mentioning last week that we have been driving back from New York City. And great. Good. And the uh, Ford Escape had broken down and I had to leave it in Ohio. But Stay thinks I'm the only person whose car breaks down. Um, and then when we got home, we we're telling his dad. And his dad goes, oh, yeah, that happened to us all the time. Stay was gobsmacked. He didn't think of his dad ever having a car breakdown. Uh, he thought that, it, you know, his dad had a perfect, perfect history of cars. I'm like, no, cars break down. And, and his sister was always calling up and getting the help from her car breaking down on the highway or something. Anyways, yes. Carry on. What are you drinking there? Looks Sheila awesome. brought me an ice cap. Oh wow! How's She's the great. best. Yeah, she Hi, is Sheila. just the best. She <laughs> knew that here at the tail end of this podcast, an ice cap and a little bit of brain freeze Hi, would. Uh, oh, and oh, she's got timbits. Timbits too. Woo! I feel homesick seeing that. Yum yum. Oh, and the dogs are getting some. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila is waving and feeding. She has been at a work yeah. event all day, and I'm sure she's oh. exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you've got a nice frosty looking drink there. Mm. Tis the season for those yummy cappuccino whipped drinks from Tim Hortons. Yeah, we yes. could do a commercial for Tim Hortons. We could. 
They used oh, to be a Canadian company once. Oh, it's not anymore? Oh. Uh, no, I had some like, I don't know if it's at the KFC people or some big company or Wendy's or okay. I don't know. Wasn't Wendy's used to be Canadian too? I don't know. I don't know either. All right. Wow. Delivery. Yummy delivery. Yeah. So there we have it. Um, if you send us an email, we might even go into our email and find it. <laughs> Normally we would check more often. I'm distracted because and I'm in Tennessee. You, you could send that email to the agency.podcast at gmail.com. And if you have a complaint, send it to complaint department at hotmail.ca. <laughs> That's right. And look at be inspired by Andy. Be like Andy. He just wrote anything he was watching. And we want to hear what you're watching, how you like it, what do you think of it, and what you recommend. It's so easy. See, we aren't scary. Oh, yeah. We wanted meatloaf recipes, too, didn't we? That's what we wanted. What's that? We wanted meatloaf recipes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Where are our meatloaf recipes? Okay. I'll see if I can. I hope somebody will send us some meat because we will make them, too. We'll make them and take pictures of them. We'll test them. Yeah, we will be the meatloaf. I think, you know, um, if you if you're going to come to Toronto um, yeah. uh, next month or. Yes, yes, I uh, am planning on it. Well, we could we could do a test off with all the meatloaf recipes, all the meatloaf recipes. That's right, because I know there's going to be dozens of them, dozens, tens of dozens. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. You really make our world go round. We really appreciate hearing from you and knowing you're out there. Thank you. I'd like to quickly. I want to quickly say hi to Jenny, Lisa, Laura, and Linda. Laura and Linda, I met them at the uh, event with the singer-songwriters. And then Lisa and Jenny are out there. And Lisa, you know, we kind of got a message from Lisa. I'm going to read the text. Sure. Because I think that kind of counts. She sent me a text. Let me find it. And Lisa was on our show on a a podcast talking about Mennonite food. Um, And she says, I'm listening to your current episode. I'm also in the air. When I get home, I'll explain the Waldorf school. I believe it's Steiner. By the way, I was chuckling about the reservation, LOL, because she listened to last week's podcast mm. and I said we didn't get a reservation. And it is Rudolf Steiner. That's correct. I was playing it a light touch on the uh, Waldorf school. I wasn't really wanting to promote it or anything. It is an alternative school. And I just, you know, there's a lot of philosophical, fascinating things with it, but I wasn't really, I, I do have friends that teach there and, and, and parents friends of mine that sent their kids there um, but i think that was cool that she was sent that on when she was on an aircraft you can listen to your podcast our podcast while you're traveling and commuting to work i love that candy yes i have brain freeze oh wow from the ice cap that happened that fast that fast i i knew i was gonna get it if i drank it too fast and i drank it too fast and now you know don't do the crime if you can't do the the time <laughs> don't do it i did it now I've got the brain freeze. Okay. There's a couple more things here that I believe, sorry, while you're having your brain freeze, okay. by the way, tell Eugene to reach out to my dissertation chair, Dr. Greg blank at Arkansas state. He did his dissertation on fiddling and then walking taco is big in Arkansas. Open the Doritos and add toppings of jalapeno salsa, nacho cheese and a fork Add a fork and eat while walking. So those are really cool texts. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, you can text us too if you know my phone number. I will. There read you go. Text on, uh, well, we could podcast. all read Candy's phone number on the air. 
<laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to resist doing that. Okay. I will resist doing that. I want to so badly, but I'm going to resist. We'll be back at you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.